There was a revolution of sorts that took place in 2007 when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone. Now, when I saw that commercial, I thought, I've got to have that. That thing is so cool. And I have one of my first, very first iPhones here. Uh, it's seen better days. I have actually the original one, but I couldn't find it for this illustration this morning. But what I did was, when I saw that iPhone announced, I thought, I've got to have it. So I went and got a job that would give me the money over that fall break, that Christmas break, that I could save up and buy the phone. Now, what made it so revolutionary is that it changed the way that we communicated. What made the iPhone so unique is no longer did we have keyboards that had to type out simple one-word text messages. You had a phone with a touch screen where you could type out entire paragraphs. You had a phone where you could send and receive emails, check the weather, get on the internet. This was something that we had never had before really in a phone. And it wasn't just some dulled down version of the internet, it was the actual internet. The iPhone in 2007 changed the way that we communicated. It was a revolution in 2007. Now in 2022, I have the same iPhone, but now it's much bigger, and instead of being a revolution, it's kind of caused a de-evolution in our house. Wives, I don't know if you have had husbands that just kind of go through this death scroll where they're just staring at their phone mindlessly. Maybe you've been a part of it. And there's something that happens in those moments in the house where I am just so entrenched on my phone, I'm not really looking at anything, I'm just scrolling through it. There comes a moment where I start to hear this noise in the background. And I'm not really paying attention. I continue to scroll on my phone, but then it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer until I catch a few key words that send messages to my prefrontal cortex to know that danger is around me. The key word saying, are you listening? Did you hear me? Now, in that moment, I have a decision to make with Jessica. I could come clean and say, ah, well, no, actually, I'm sorry, honey, I wasn't listening. Uh, please forgive me. I was just lost in my phone. Or I could double down and be like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I heard you. Well, what do you think? Well, it's whatever you think. You know, we'll give these key words that kind of pass the buck and move us forward. Charles Schultz had a master way of displaying this breakdown in communication between adults and kids. I have this with my children right now. I sometimes forget that their vocabulary is not at the same level as my vocabulary, and they just stare at me like a deer in headlights. Did you know that in Charlie Brown? There's not an adult that has a line in the show. What's, what's their line? That's the wah, 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 wah. That's how kids can kind of hear us. And that's how we can hear the message of Jesus in the Gospels if we're not careful. We become so familiar with it. We become so familiar with a few key words that it just alerts us just enough to come back to the center. Jesus has a master way of teaching that breaks through the wah, 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 wah of daily life in a way that he taught in the parables. The parables have a way of cutting through the noise and breaking our attention. And that's what we're going to look over the next few weeks. Our first parable that we're going to look at is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. It's in the very, the very first parable of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And this parable has a sharp way of breaking through the noise. And the question that we have to answer is, are we listening? Jesus gives this parable to let us know and ask us, are we listening? So it's tough. It's meant to be tough, this parable. So before we dive into meeting an application, 
Let's look at a few things about what parables are that's going to help kind of gather and shape our mind. The four Gospels tell the good news that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are for us. That the kingdom of God is launched on earth and what that now means for us in light of Jesus. If you had to summarize what Jesus' message was in one sentence, what would you say? If you had to summarize what Jesus' message was to a person in one sentence or a few key words, what would it be? It would, might say mercy or love or generosity. And those things are right in a way. They are, they are the message of the kingdom. But Jesus had one phrase in particular that he kept using over and over and over again about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God coming through Jesus that we have the forgiveness of sins and Ephesians 1, that Jesus is uniting things in heaven and earth. Revelation 21, that he's making all things new. And that one day we'll be able to fully participate in this kingdom. But we can now, as we represent and model Jesus' life, through generosity, service, love, justice, mercy, obedience, to live in the kingdom is what Jesus is teaching us. And what can happen is we can get lost in communication. We can hear the few key words of love, grace, and mercy and miss Jesus' kingdom message about how it shapes how we live in our lives right now. This past week was Red Ribbon Week at Alpine Christian School, which is drug-free week. It's a week long where they learn about that. And Russell came home one day very serious, and he sat down next to Daisy and he said, Daisy, I've learned about little devils that you can put in your body that make you sick. Little devils. Somehow he heard little devils. The next day he came back and said, actually it's drugs, it's not little devils that you put in your body. Somehow he got lost in communication, that message of what Red Ribbon Week was about. So for us to understand how the parables are working, let's do a bit of an imaginative exercise uh, to imagine what it would have been like to hear the parables uh, in Jesus' day. Imagine that you are a Jewish farmer living in Galilee in the first century. You've grown up in a small town with deep family ties. Uh, This has been your ancestral home for a few hundred years at this point. Your entire life, along with farming, has been centered around retelling these stories and poems of the Hebrew Scriptures. In fact, your entire calendar is marked by religious festivals that help you to remember God's providence in your life, that he has called your people a chosen nation. Your entire life is marked in remembering this story. When you wake up, you recite the Psalms. When you go to sleep, you recite the Psalms. He has chosen your people to be a chosen nation. And through his, this people, his kingdom will come in and bless. But there is a problem Your ancestors have been unfaithful to God. This resulted in God allowing four nations to come in and oppress Israel, like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians, and most recently, the Romans. And the Romans are brutal. They've occupied your land and made it a militarized zone under Roman occupation with camps, garrisons, checkpoints, heavy taxes. Your whole life has been affected by the Romans and what you do. Farming lately has been a struggle for you, not because the crop hasn't been yielding good, but the taxes are even heavier this year. They're unrelenting. Every harvest of wheat, you must give a portion to the tax collectors, and you barely have enough to live off, 
and barely have enough to buy the seed to replant your field for next year. In fact, your uncle didn't have enough, and he had to sell his field to the Romans who are now managing it, and he has become a slave to them, working his own field in his own land. Your cousin, he went missing a few months ago. He joined a group called the Zealots in the hill country where they believe that the kingdom of God is at hand and it's about to come in with force. In fact, they keep practicing these exercises of the kingdom of God by attacking Romans. But you hear about this preacher. He's a prophet. He's been going around speaking about the kingdom of God. You've heard miraculous, crazy stories about this guy that he's been healing the blind, causing the lame to walk, and he says that the kingdom of God is at hand now. And so your whole life has been centered around this farming and what waiting on the kingdom of God to arrive, and you hear that this prophet has come to your town and he'll be here this evening, so you go and listen to him. And so he starts sharing stories about a farmer in his field or about a slave who had to sell his field and now is a tenant owner of the field, or a mustard seed that grows up and provides shelter for the birds. In his teachings, they're quoting the prophet Isaiah and Daniel. So one of the most well-known common ways that Jesus communicated and taught these stories were through the word we use as parable. And Jesus used real-life experiences of these first-century people to communicate and connect his messages to them of farmers and fields. In Greek, para means to come alongside and bowl means to set. So therefore, parable refers to something that is set alongside for comparison and contrast. Now, the dictionary defines a parable as a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. But that doesn't quite get at the heart of what a parable is. Let's look at two things that a parable is not. A parable is not simply moral tales. The parable of the Good Samaritan, for instance, is often assumed to just be a moral teaching on good people and bad people and how good people behave. Does it show us good moral principles to live by? Yeah, absolutely. But it shows us something deeper about the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to shine a light on us and how we, have, we tend to think of ourselves as a good people and others as bad. Jesus is speaking to a religious leader who's trying to undermine Jesus' authority, asking, who's my neighbor? And Jesus shines the light back on him to show him that a Samaritan who would be considered despicable by the scholar is the hero and the religious elite or the figures are the villains. It's not simply a moral story. It's meant to challenge our assumptions that we are the good people and they are the bad ones. Can they, be, can they tell us moral things? Yes, absolutely. Parables are not simply allegory to a lesson on theology. Uh, we can get in trouble when we try and make uh, the parables just theology lessons. As brilliant as Augustine was, his interpretation on the Good Samaritan was a little bit skewed. He thought that the person going down to Jerusalem was Adam. The robbers were the devil and his angels. The Samaritan is meant to be Christ. The inn is his church, and the next day is the resurrection, and the innkeeper is Paul. Augustine supplemented what he knew of Scripture and the church then and put it back onto the parable. But the parables are not simply moral tales, and they're not simply allegory to a lesson on theology. 
The main point of the parable is for Jesus to announce and inaugurate the kingdom of God and show what it's like. It's to show that the climax of the covenant story between God and Israel is coming in through Jesus. That the arrival of God's kingdom both confronted Israel and comforted Israel. Jesus is showing that the kingdom of God, what it is like, and what's at stake if you accept or reject who he is. Here's what Jesus says about parables in Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. The point of the parable is to break through our line of communication and make sure that we are hearing clearly the message of Jesus. Here is what Klein Snodgrass says about parables in this way. I thought this was helpful. I think I have the quote up here. Jesus' parables, um, they are direct communication. Direct communication is more important for conveying information. But learning is more than information intake, especially if the learner is someone who already thinks they understand. People entrenched in their current understanding set their defenses against direct communication and end up conforming the message into the channels of their current understanding of reality. But indirect communication finds a way and through the back window to confront a person's view of reality. A parable's ultimate aim is to draw in the listener to awaken insight, stimulate the conscience, and move to action. Jesus' parables are prophetic instruments used to get God's people to stop reconsider their ways of viewing reality, and change their behavior. So today, we are at the parable of the sower. And with all of this in mind, let's read together uh, the first parable in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'll read for us. Now remember, our main point here is to know if we are listening and to listen to Jesus well. Here's what he says. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd had gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed, sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. 
When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones thrown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the thing, other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and one hundredfold. Now, when I hear this passage read, immediately some fear starts to raise up because you want to know, okay, what soil is my life? How have I heard the word? Am I hard ground? Am I rocky ground? Am I good soil? But what we must remember is that the gospel of Mark is telling a linear story. Mark 4 is strategically placed as a reflection on the diverse responses from the people to Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God. So this parable in Mark chapter 4 is a reflection of everything that's happened and all of the people who are going to hear God's message going forward. So just remember what's happened earlier. First, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. There's a man that comes to Jesus who recognizes who he is and asks Jesus to heal him. There's a leper that comes to Jesus. Jesus touches him and heals him. And then Jesus proclaims that he is Lord over the Sabbath. And this makes people angry. This makes the Pharisees really angry. They ask him, what are you doing healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds, isn't this good? Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. The Pharisees then turn and proclaim that Jesus is doing this by Satan's authority. Most recently, Jesus' entire family misunderstands who he is. And Jesus says, who is my mother and my brothers? Who is my family? The overall context of Mark should shape how we read this parable and is a reminder of the gospel of Mark. It shows us who hard soil is or who soft soil is. Consider when we're going to read further on in the gospel of Mark. What does it mean to have hard soil? Possibly it's like the Pharisees that have such hard hearts at Jesus They hate him. What does it mean to have rocky soil where the seed sprouts quickly and you receive the message of joy? Maybe it's like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. I am your man. And Jesus says, wonderful, sell all that you have and follow me. And the rich young ruler, what does he do? He leaves away sad. He's full of joy. But when the reality of what the kingdom brings comes to him, he goes away sad. The parable of the sower is meant to show us as a reflection on who we're about to read about. But then it's also meant to be a mirror for us to see. So the parable of the sower. What's the message of the kingdom? Mark has not left us up to guess. At the very beginning of uh, the gospel of Mark, He tells us exactly what this gospel is about. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that this has been foretold in the prophet Isaiah. So what is the word that the sower is casting out? It's this good news of the kingdom, that Jesus is bringing forth the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. 
So here Jesus is proclaiming the word to a multitude of people. He's on a boat. They're on the shore. It could be translated soil. He's telling them there are different kinds of soil. So first, this is an invitation to humility. The psalmist in chapter 86 says, For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I think Jesus is giving us a few warnings in the soil. The first one is this, for the hard soil. Beware of listening with a hard heart. Many of us can listen to the message of Jesus, and our hearts are immediately hard. We listen to Jesus with our intellect only, with only our mind, a message that never moves to our heart. Like the Pharisees that accuse Jesus of doing miracles by the power of Satan, we have different expectations of what the kingdom is, and when it doesn't fit in with our mold, it hardens our heart. The second is to beware of listening to God with a shallow heart. Jesus gives us the appropriate application of this passage, that it's like a seed that's thrown into shallow ground that takes no root. And when the heat comes, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What Jesus is telling us also is don't listen with our emotions only. You may have heard the message of Jesus, and in many ways you've received it with joy. You've heard about the forgiveness of sins. You latch on to it. But when persecution or things happen in life that make life incredibly difficult, the heat of persecution or pain or pressure, when it comes onto your life, it scorches the seed. You wonder if you've believed at all or if you can believe. We don't listen uh, with a shallow heart. We don't listen with our emotions only. Next is beware of listening with a divided heart. Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. What are the cares of the world that you put in this category? What is in the category that feels right, but if you had to search out Jesus' words on them that you'd find none? What are the, the cares of this world that distract your mind and your heart and your affection from Jesus? What are the deceitfulness of riches that we think will provide us life and joy and peace? These are thorns and thistles that grow up. What desires for other things that you have in your life? If I'm being honest, if I'm being really honest, and I read this parable, at times I have heard the word with a hard heart, with a shallow heart, and with a heart of divided motives. I see myself, honestly, in each one of these soils. So what does it mean for us to listen with a soft heart in good soil? I think that it does mean that we listen intellectually. The scriptures give us a way to reason the message of the gospel. Jesus is not just asking you to believe blindly, but the gospel accounts have been given to us so that we might see and believe. The gospel of John, these things are recorded for you that you might hear and believe in the good news of who Jesus is. We can reason with the gospel intellectually, but it must not remain there. 
It must move to our heart where we see that we need the Lord spiritually, that we see ourselves as sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. And we must listen carefully with humility and repentance. What's interesting about the Gospel of Mark is how it's designed. So the very first parable is about a a farmer uh, that's sowing seed into the ground. And the Pharisees are the ones who don't believe in Jesus. They think that he is doing these works by Satan. And Jesus is showing they are the ones with a hard heart. The very last parable in the Gospel of Mark is about another farmer who is also casting seed. Not casting seed, but he is given the land over some tenants to watch over the land. And this is what the Pharisees now realize Jesus is speaking about them and how they've squandered away what God has called them to do. What is the word and the message of the kingdom? It is who Jesus is. This means that for us to be confronted with the message of Jesus, we must answer who he is and what he's come to do. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, which means we qualify. How now do you respond to the message of Jesus? What are your cares of this world? What are the thorns and the thistles that grow up in your life? If I'm being honest... Again, this device here that has caused a de-evolution in a way draws my mind and my heart to more places that build up cares for the world or see the deceitfulness of riches or cause my heart to delight in other things outside of the message of the gospel and Jesus and who he is. There are ways that we, need, we can have a fertile soil for the seed to be planted. But here's where I think we should end, is that when we read this passage and we we think about uh, the farmer throwing, the sower throwing the seed, it is quite possible that at times in our life, uh, we have heard this passage preached as simply an evangelistic way, where this is how we go out and we share the gospel. But we don't need to see ourselves as primarily the sower. Jesus is the sower. Is this a way that evangelism happens? Yeah, sure. But we need to primarily see ourselves as the soil. Is your heart hard? Do you have joys that spring up and detract you from the message of Jesus? Jesus is asking in this parable, are you listening? Are you listening? Do you understand what the message of the kingdom of God is offering and what's it about? God's first words after the fall to Adam and Eve were, where are you? And that one word is compressed. It's one word in Hebrew. And in that one word in Hebrew is compressed a whole theology that God seeks out the lost sinner. God welcomes him to confess. God's desire for restoration. God's work for his redemption. What did God promise would happen if they ate from the tree? That they would die. But God comes after his people and he asks, where are you? He seeks after the lost. Jesus' first words to his disciples, peace be with you. In this moment, have you heard the message of the kingdom that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners? Repent, believe, and follow after him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that as we endeavor Uh, through the next few weeks to look at difficult teachings of you um, 
in the parables, that our hearts be softened to hear what you're actually saying. Help us to not harden our hearts. Help us to not listen with a divided heart or a shallow heart or a hard heart. Father, I pray that you soften us to your word, that we see who you are, and that, Father, that we follow you all the days of our life. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.